Thank you, Daryl. So open your Bibles with me this morning to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 35. So now I am tasked with preaching a message that makes you forget that there's a meeting Wednesday night at 6.30. so I pray that God will use His Word to uh, challenge our hearts and uh, open up His Word to us this morning. We're going to continue talking about discipleship because it's important. We've spent most of our, study, or our, our summer studying discipleship, and we've really only scratched the surface of what Scripture has intended for us. You see, God in, intends for believers to be united with one another in faith, to be helping one another move forward in spiritual maturity. And to do that, we must be willing to transparently and generously give and receive from one another so that together we might continue forward pursuing God's will in our own lives, in this church, and in the world. And so this morning we are going to be discussing the fact that discipleship is relational. And our text for this morning is Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, where we read, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Then he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip the eunuch, and he baptized him. Our first point this morning that I want us to look at is when we are willing to obey, sometimes God provides us with divine appointments. Every time this happens, I'm absolutely dumbfounded. But it happens too frequently to ignore. Perhaps most of us can can point to several times in our lives where, where God seemed to move heaven and earth to put us in just the right place where He had the opportunity, where we had the opportunity to share with someone, or they had the opportunity to share something with us. It truly is amazing when when God does that. And, and, And I think this is just another reminder to all of us that God is work all the time in our lives. He is doing so many things in our world around us that we're oftentimes completely oblivious to. Completely unaware of what He's doing in our midst. But every once in a while, we get to see His sovereign hand at work. And it is a beautiful 
beautiful thing. Julie and I like to describe it this way. Sometimes God pulls back the curtain just enough and gives us a little peek of some of what He is doing in our lives so that we get to see Him working. It's truly mind-blowing to think about the fact that the Creator of the universe, our sovereign God, cares enough about you and I to be involved in our daily lives. He loves us enough to orchestrate events so that we have the opportunity to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. And when we see Him move on our behalf or on behalf of those that we love, it's truly an awesome experience. But sometimes I think that we forget that He also wants to use us in that same way. We love it when God moves heaven and earth to be a blessing to us. But sometimes we forget that God wants to use us in that exact same way in the lives of another person. You see, God uses the recipients of His grace to be witnesses for Him. Notice how our passage begins in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, angels quite simply are messengers from God. So why didn't God simply have this angel communicate his saving grace to this Ethiopian eunuch? Why did he not communicate through his angel how this man could be saved? You see, God has not given the great commission to angels. He's given it to his children. Although angels uh, angels although they were they too were created by God, they've never personally experienced the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that God offers us through His Son, Christ Jesus. Therefore, they can never bear witness of what it means to know the grace of God and to be saved. The angels that rebelled against God in heaven then fell into sin were not given the opportunity to repent and to experience God's grace. So they cannot know the redemptive power of the gospel in the forgiveness we have in Christ. But we do know that. We do know His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, and His redemption. So instead, God directed His servant Philip to just the right person at, at the right time. He could have used an angel, but He chose to use His person because God is at work through our lives and through the life of His church to reach people with the gospel. Now, you and I are not likely to have angels instruct us, but we can allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in our witnessing and our service for the King. If we are walking in the Spirit and praying for God's direction, He will lead us to the right people at the right times so that we can disciple and minister to them and share the love of Christ with, him, with them and bless them in the name of our Savior. You see, we can spend all of our time growing in our own knowledge of the Lord, but miss out on amazing opportunities to have that knowledge be used by Him. So He wants us daily to be, to be walking with Him in obedience, praying for and seeking out opportunities to serve Him and to expand His kingdom and to bless His name. This is how God has continually led His faithful followers. In fact, throughout history, God's children have faithfully followed Him one day, one step at a time. Sometimes I, I think we're always waiting for God to lay out His great, grandiose plan from beginning to end for us. And while we have the basics of that in Scripture, He, he doesn't give us all of the specifics. 
and he usually doesn't. And we, but we think, man, when, if I knew all that was going to happen, then I'd jump in and I'd get involved. But that's not what God calls us to, and He rarely has. When God called Abraham, He simply said, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. He didn't give him all of the details. He didn't tell him all of the obstacles. He didn't tell him all of the problems that he would have along the way. He didn't tell Abraham what would happen. Abraham was called to obediently follow and to go where the Lord commanded. And he did. And God used Moses to lead his people out of captivity. But he did it one day at a time. Yes, he had ultimately told them that he would lead his people to a land flowing with milk and honey. But they didn't know exactly what that meant. We still debate to this day what does that term, the land flowing with milk and honey, truly mean. But he did tell them this, that I will be with you every step of the way. And in fact, he went before them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he told his people, follow me. Daily depend on me. I will be your sustenance. I will be the one who gets you through. I will be the one who leads you. He didn't just give them a road map and say, hey, good luck. He wanted his children to walk in daily obedience to him. Following his leading and walking with him all along that path. You see, we see this as a beautiful picture of faith and obedience and, and trust in our sovereign God. And we see it all over Scripture. In Psalm 119, a very familiar passage of Scripture to many of us because it's been in so many different songs throughout the history of our faith. Psalm 119.105 simply says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, God's Word, it is a lamp to our feet, but it only illuminates a small portion as we're walking daily in faith, obediently with Him. It's not a spotlight or a searchlight that illuminates the whole entire path in front of us, telling us exactly what to expect, the persecutions that we're going to face, the troubles, and all of the things and all the obstacles in our way. Instead, we're supposed to daily walk with Him, fully dependent upon His Word and His grace and His leading through the Holy Spirit in our lives to get us through each and every day. We're supposed to be trusting in Him, constantly looking to Him for our guidance. In fact, even when Jesus calls us into a relationship with Him, He says, come, follow Me. And He, and he told us, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. But he doesn't give all of the details of what that means. He says we must deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Yes, he, he promises blessing, and he promises eternal life in relationship with the Father. But there's so much more. But by faith, he's called us into that relationship with him. You see, God will lead his people. But we need to understand that, that He does that slowly and surely and day by day as we follow and obey Him. And we also need to make sure that we're not only looking for His hand of blessing in our lives, but instead, we should be looking to see how we might be that hand of blessing in someone else's life as well. God could be desiring to use us to be a blessing in someone else's life. 
If we're willing to be obedient and serve the Lord, we have the opportunity to be the evangelism discipleship tool that God uses to bless others in amazing ways. But that only happens if we're daily walking with Him and following Him. We're not going to see those opportunities if, if we're not asking God to present those opportunities to us. Because the reality is, is that discipleship relationships are inconvenient. If you're here this morning and, and, and you've had the opportunity to either be discipled by someone or, or, praise the Lord, to be involved in discipling someone else, you know that it isn't always easy and it's rarely convenient. And as Americans, we lead very busy lives. When everything shut down last March because of COVID-19, a lot of people had no idea what to do with themselves. And in fact, one of my greatest prayers for my family and for our country and for us as a church would be that when all of this is all said and done, Lord, I hope that we don't simply fill our schedules back up with all of the things that don't matter for eternity. I'll leave it to each individual and family to answer for themselves how they're doing with that. But I can tell you that that's a struggle because, because our culture and our lives are constantly full to the max. But one of the biggest problems that busyness is, can cause is that, that we don't have time to be looking for ways that God can use us. And we may miss opportunities that He's placing in our lives to be a blessing and to disciple others or be discipled by others because our schedules are simply too full. But as believers in Christ, we must all realize that when God is moving in the lives of people, we must pay attention and get involved, no matter what barriers exist. We all have limited time. It's a limited resource for each and every one of us. But we have to decide, how are we going to spend every minute of each day that the Lord has given to us? How are we going to invest that time that He has given to us? How will we choose to make decisions based on our schedules? And will it allow us to have the freedom to see the opportunities that God has placed in our life? But time isn't the only barrier that we see in this passage of Scripture. When this starts out, the angel simply tells Philip, rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Notice the description of the location that God was calling Philip. This is a desert place. Now what that really means is that there's nothing there. There's no city. There's, there's, there's not a lot of people. It's, it's, there's, there's nothing. And so it, it could very easily, Philip could have said, well, that doesn't make sense. Why doesn't, why doesn't this angel send me to the city where there's all sorts of people? Why doesn't the city, or, or why, doesn't, why doesn't God send me over here where I can be more of a, a ministry for him? But how did Philip respond? Verse 27 tells us simply that he rose and went. Philip didn't care about the barriers. He knew what God had called him to do. And then verse 27 continues, and it introduces us to the next character in this real-life drama. And there, were, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? 
Philip is sent to a, an important official. He was, he was big stuff. He was traveling in a chariot. He was in charge of the queen's treasure. This, this was a very important person. Now, Philip, on the other hand, was, was not. And traveling the, the, the way that a commoner would travel in Philip's day, he was probably filthy and dirty from traveling on the road. And so we see this juxtaposition of this, of this elite official in a high in a high priority position in the government and compared to philip this dirty traveler who is not the social equal of this man he likely didn't look the part of someone near the same level as the eunuch and even didn't look like someone who should be approaching his chariot at all but philip didn't let that deter him god had called him to this and so he simply obeyed now, in New Testament times, it was common when you're, when you're reading to just read out loud, even if you were reading simply to yourself. So, I mean, quite frankly, I, I think if I came across somebody and they're reading out loud, I, I, I would think to myself, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to interrupt him. Personally, I can think of at least ten different reasons why not to approach this man. We make these kinds of reg- excuses regularly, don't we? Oh, I don't have time. Oh. He looks too busy. Oh, she's so important. I don't want to approach her with this thing. Oh, well, they're obviously rich and I'm not. Oh, this is just me. And I'm such a mess. I'm dusty and filthy. I I really shouldn't approach that person. We make all kinds of excuses. But Philip's not me. He obeyed. He did what God had called him to do. And the beauty of it is, is that God had already prepared the man's heart to receive Philip's witness. When we obey the Lord's leading, we are trusting that God has already gone before us to open the hearts of people that we are ministering to. You see, it's not dependent upon us, as we've been talking about in past weeks. God wants us to obey, and He's going to do the work in people's hearts and lives to call them to Himself. So then what's our role? Well, we have to understand that we must always be prepared to share the knowledge we have learned, to point to Christ. All that God has has taught us and led us through, we should be willing to use to point to Christ. But notice that Philip didn't strategize about the best way to approach this man. He didn't ask the angel for time to prepare a three-part sermon, maybe have some nice PowerPoint, put a little video presentation together. He didn't do any of those things. He didn't assess the situation and break down the different missiological approaches and strategies that might be the most effective for reaching a a, a eunuch or an Ethiopian official. Verse 30 tells us that he approached the man and simply asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? There's nothing earth-shattering that takes place here. Philip asks a simple question and immediately engaged in a life-changing conversation with this official. So many times there there are people in our world that that are, are asking the question, how can I possibly understand this unless someone guides me? And too often I think Christians shy away from those opportunities that God places in our lives. Too often I think we are indifferent or completely just ignore what's going on around us. The people who are hurting, who have questions. 
How can they understand unless someone guides them? The people who are going through difficulties and trials, how can they understand unless someone guides them? And Philip didn't have all of the deep theological answers. He simply engaged them with a question and asked if he understood. Now, obviously, the man was reading Isaiah 53. It's the prophecy of God's suffering servant. Because remember, God had done the background work. He had prepared this eunuch for this conversation with Philip. The eunuch was puzzled by who these verses in Isaiah 53 were, were talking about. And, and so Philip had little trouble using that verse, that very passage that, that the man was already studying, as a springboard to tell him about the whole good news of Jesus. Look at verse 35 where it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Let me talk to you about my precious Savior. That's the one being talked about in that passage of Scripture that you are reading. Now, we don't have time this morning, but Isaiah 53 is a great passage of Scripture. In verses 1 and 2, it describes Jesus' birth. In verse 3, it talks about His ministry. It talks about His substitutionary death in verses 4 through 9. And it talks about His victorious resurrection in verses 10 through 12. This is obviously a great passage of Scripture that we can use to talk about Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who would come to save God's people from their sins. But because Philip understood the grace of God, because he knew so intimately what Christ had done for him in his life, he simply shared what he already knew and pointed this man to Christ. And that's what we're called to do. To take the things that God has, has taught us in our walks with Him. To take these things that other people have used to disciple us in our faith and to point to Christ. Sometimes we think it has to be so deeply theological and profound. I think if we busted out Isaiah 53 as a group, we could point out all of the different things that Isaiah 53 talks about our precious Savior. Sometimes it's not complicated. But sometimes we just struggle thinking we could do it. But if we will obey, God will empower His Word to touch hearts and penetrate lives and to change people's eternal destination. I think we also need to see that this is also a reminder to us that when God is moving, no one is beyond the reach of the Gospel. As an Ethiopian official in charge of the treasury, he was likely traveling with an entourage. He probably had all sorts of people around him. Maybe even some of the people might have tried to stop Philip from approaching the chariot. We don't know all that was taking place. But it wasn't simply, I'm sure, just one single chariot. And so there's all sorts of cultural norms and barriers here. Obviously, we talked about this rich man who's important and the, the poor, rugged, weary traveler. But there was another important barrier that I think we need to make sure we see and understand. We saw that this eunuch had come from Jerusalem to worship. So he was obviously a God-fearer, someone who believed in the Old Testament God. Maybe he even believed in Yahweh. However, he could not be a full convert. Because in Deuteronomy 23.1, the law prohibits eunuchs from entering into the Lord's assembly. So even though he was this God-fearer, he was still on the outside of God's people. Even though he believed in God, he, he, he was on the outside and, and kept at arm's length. 
So there, there are all sorts of, of, of different categories of people that we could think of in our culture who, who are people who feel like they're outcasts, who feel like they're at, at, kept at arm's length from being able to worship God, much like this Ethiopian official. And they may be religious, and they may be attending church, and they may be trying to do all of these things to please God. And they simply need someone to answer the question for them. How can I know without somebody to tell me? Warren Wiersbe, as he's uh, talking about this passage of Scripture, in his commentary says this, This Ethiopian represents many people today who are religious, read the Scriptures, and seek the truth, yet do not have saving faith in Jesus Christ. They are sincere, but they are lost, and they need someone to show them the way. God is calling you and I who know the grace of God, who know His mercy, who know His forgiveness to be the ones who can show them the way to Christ. To point them to His Word and what the Gospel can mean for them. And they may have all sorts of barriers going on. There may be all sorts of obstacles that we need to overcome. But none of those, over, none of those barriers can overcome the power of the Gospel. None of those obstacles can stop the power of the gospel. God may want to demonstrate His saving power in someone that the world thinks is unreachable simply so that His name can be glorified and praised. And He gets the praise and the glory for it. We also need to understand this morning that we must be willing to help people take the next step in their faith. I think it's important for us to see that. In this, in this passage of Scripture, Philip is, is willing to continually take that eunuch on his next step of faith. Philip didn't shy away from answering a difficult question. In fact, he loved answering the difficult questions. In verse 34, we read, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Man, this is the kind of softball question that we all dream about. The eunuch basically says to Philip, Hey, is this talking about the Messiah? I mean, is that not a softball question? Would you not love someone to come up to you and say, Would you tell me about Jesus? Would you tell me about the gospel? Man, that's, that's a beautiful softball question. Let me tell you, if you want those kinds of opportunities, they are available to you. If you help out, in our children's Sunday school? If you help out in Awana? If you help out in vacation Bible schools? Kids are coming, and they're essentially asking us to tell them about Christ. They're asking us to tell them about Jesus. And you know what else? When we work in small group ministries or, or adult Sunday school, or even better yet, if you serve at the Beacon of Hope as an advisor or any of those other positions, people are coming asking us to disciple them and to tell them about about what the Bible teaches, and about who Christ is. We can get these kinds of softball questions if we will take the time to involve ourselves in those ministries. God will provide those opportunities for us. Now, it may seem like a softball question, but you and I would still have to answer it, right? You and I still have to, to be bold enough to, to take the time to, to answer it. Instead of saying, well, you know, I, just, I don't know if I could do that. And then, I mean, after we do that, then he, he gets involved in another question. And sometimes that can get really messy. 
right? We, we start getting involved with people, and, and sometimes we realize that their lives, things can get messy. Now, maybe you grew up in a, a Christian home, and perhaps your family's experience with Christ has been orderly and neat and tidy. Or at least it looks like that from the outside to others. But the reality is, is, is that Philip has to begin dealing with this eunuch and talking about his eunuch and talking, talking about the fact that he's a eunuch and, and what faith in Christ really means and, and points him to the gospel. And, and, and then the eunuch in verse 36 says, well, see, here's water. What prevents me from getting baptized? And that's where it can really get messy. Right? Because Philip could have very easily said, well, you know, I think you should go to one of the churches and there's one of the elders that are there and, and they can talk this through with you and, and they can make sure that you truly have trusted in Jesus. And, but like I said, real discipleship gets messy. You're down in the dirt, you're in a chariot talking about a guy, he gets saved, and he says, hey, how about I get baptized? Philip could have passed on this. He could have made some excuse some of which may have been very legitimate excuses as to why the eunuch should wait to get baptized. But Philip was willing to help the eunuch take the next step of obedience, of baptism. Now, I think we can assume there was a great deal of dialogue that goes on that we don't see in Scripture here. Ultimately, Philip decided that the eunuch truly was born again and a good candidate to follow the Lord in baptism. And the eunuch was, was very excited about his new life in Christ, and he wanted to take the next step. He was, he was bold to even ask about baptism. Notice the eunuch's question is, why shouldn't I be baptized? This suggests that perhaps some objections have been raised to his baptism in the past. Remember, as, a, as an outsider, he'd been refused, likely, Jewish proselyte baptism as a eunuch. He'd been told that that, that can never be true for you. And so the eunuch was likely overjoyed at being fully accepted, understanding what the cross truly meant, that all of his sins are forgiven, and that he is truly now a child of God. He's no longer an outsider or an outcast, but he's adopted as a son into the kingdom. So, so he was likely overjoyed and said, what would prevent me from getting baptized? He immediately wanted to identify with Christ, and that's a beautiful thing. Now, while our church believes that it's important to ensure, as best as humanly possible, that someone truly has been born again, has trusted Christ as their Savior before we baptize them. Because we never want to give the false impression that, that baptism somehow can save you. It is an important step of obedience in the life of a believer, but it, but it is not what saves us. Only faith in Christ can save us. But baptism is that important step of identifying with Christ as our Savior. After we know Him, we should be willing to identify ourselves with Him as His child. And sometimes I think it's almost too easy in churches like ours to be a Christ follower. We, sometimes we don't emphasize the importance of baptism. In this culture, it was a very distinct setting apart of an identity as a Christ follower, to be baptized into his kingdom. And, and so we see that, that, that it's such an important event, but sometimes we underemphasize it even in a Baptist church. And I just want to remind people this morning that if you know Christ as your Savior and haven't taken the step of following him in obedience and baptism, we really encourage you to pray about it and consider it. 
to take the bold step of identifying with Christ and to saying, I am a child of God. I know that my sin should separate me from God. But because of what Christ has done on the cross, I am His forever. And I want to identify with Him. You should pray about it and consider it. And in fact, we do have a membership and baptism service coming up in October. We would love to have you publicly declare your love for Christ as your Lord. So the eunuch wanted to be obedient. And he wanted to follow Christ in baptism. But he's not the only one demonstrating obedience here regarding baptism. It would have been so easy for Philip to simply move on. Right? I, I, led this, I led this eunuch to Christ, and now it's time for me to move on. And maybe even if he offered, you know, he asked this difficult question, too often as believers we simply tell people, well, you know what, I'll be praying for you with that. And we head on our way. We're not willing to invest in the difficult process of discipleship to, to help people take those next steps of obedience. To answer those difficult questions. To, to get involved with those messy decisions. To point people to God's Word and, and to pray about with them and, and to consider what those things mean. In some ways, we're not much different than the world in offering our thoughts and prayers when people are going through difficult times and difficult things. But true discipleship looks much different than that. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can help people take those next steps of obedience. Looking for the opportunities that God has placed in our lives, we can help people to, to place their life in the hands of Christ and to walk with Him. We have been given those kinds of opportunities and we've been given those kinds of challenges from God that we should be looking for them and not trying to avoid them. This is what God has called us to do as His disciples. This is what His Holy Spirit empowers us to do as His disciples. We must simply decide if we're going to sit on the sidelines, making all sorts of excuses, or are we going to obey and get involved in the messiness of discipleship? Are we willing to commit our time and our resources? Are we willing to go out of our way to do the things that we know God has called us to. When we are willing to obey, sometimes God will move heaven and earth, setting up divine appointments for us so that we can glorify Him through our obedience in leading others into a relationship with Christ or deeper in their relationship with Christ. But if we're not willing to obey, if we're not willing to go where God has called us, if we're not willing to break down some of those barriers... God is not going to be able to use us. And so my heart and my prayer for myself and for us as a church is that we would be the kind of Christ followers who are willing to daily walk with Him, to be obedient in going where He's called us, and to go through those barriers so that His name can be proclaimed to those who are outcast, to those who are outside of Christ, and to those who then do come to Christ and want to walk with Him in obedience. That's what he's called us to. That's what discipleship looks like. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I thank you. I thank you for the fact that we do know your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness that you've offered to us on the cross of Calvary. And Father, you've also now called us to impact the world around us as we share that love 
that grace and that mercy with those who are desperately in need of it. Oh, Father, there are those who are outside of Christ who we need to call into repentance, into a life as a Christ follower. And yet, Father, you've also, you will move heaven and earth when we will walk in obedience to you to set up these opportunities for us to glorify your name. Lord, help us. Help us to say no to the many things that press into our lives and prevent us from having the opportunities and the freedom to go and to share. Father, help us as we see obstacles and barriers in our life and we think that they're insurmountable. Help us to know that in the power of the gospel, you can move heaven and earth so that sinners can come home to a relationship with you. Thank you that you have allowed us to be part of that. And we pray that you would help us to be obedient. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.